Good morning, everyone. It's um, so great to have you with us today. My name's Dan. I'm part of the leadership team here at the church, and um, it's warm, isn't it? Just to say that it is cooler towards the front. Benefits have not been under the balcony, so if you want to come and join us, feel free. But we're um, we're in the series uh, where we're looking at uh, life in the spirit, and we've been exploring the the person of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is what we call the Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, um, and we've been exploring about the, the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, what it means for us to be, to be filled with the Spirit, what it means for us to live a life in the Spirit. So he's doing some crazy stuff. Um, and, and I want to start today just by asking the question of why do we gather every Sunday as a church family? It's, why am I not choosing to spend my Sunday morning catching up on the news, watching highlights from Glastonbury, um, washing my car, maybe going to a car boot sale? Well, firstly, Sundays is not everything. If going to church on a Sunday morning once a week is the only difference that following Jesus makes and, and being a part of church makes, then I would suggest that you're not really following Jesus. You're not really part of the church. Um, the, there is a Greek word called uh, ecclesia, which is, the, is a word that is often, most often translated to mean church. It's the, it's the Greek word that's used in the, the New Testament, and um, it produ- it's used over a hundred times in the New Testament. And it predominantly refers to a local community of Christ followers. It's a group of people who gather regularly to worship, to share their lives with one another, to learn and to live the way of Jesus. Now that so happens that this community gathers in a building like this, some gather in more traditional buildings, right through to some gathering in homes. The the gathering place is not the important part, it is that it is this local expression of Christ's body. And the New Testament, the the second half of the Bible, is full of very specific instructions about how we should function as a community and what we should do. I'm not going to read all the Bible passages um, because this is just my introduction. Um, But the summary, or my summary of the markers of a local church will be described, I think we've got a slide up, as a group of believers who, who serve one another, who bear with one another in love, who speak and sing of our love together, who make music together, who teach and challenge one another, who keep one another accountable, who spare one another towards love and good deeds, who do not give up meeting together, who are hospitable to one another, who experience fellowship together, who confess our sins to one another, who pray for one another, who eat and drink together, who baptize one another and who give financially together. That would be my quick summary of the New Testament's teaching on the local church. But many of these things happen during the week as we are family together. They happen in friendships, they happen in life groups and clusters in Jubilee, and as we love and care for one another. And then we gather together as one, as a full community on a Sunday morning to worship together. And as we gather, our our primary purpose is that we glorify God. Our gatherings, uh, we worship each week as we gather because Jesus is worthy of all our adoration. 
If Sundays is about us and about what we can get out of it, then we've completely missed the point. We gather as family to worship our Lord and Saviour together. That's our purpose. And at Jubilee, we believe that, that to glorify God when we gather, our gatherings include the, the reading and teaching of Scripture. The, this, I think there's another slide and you can note down these Bible passages. I'm not going to read them all. But the reading and teaching of Scripture, the, the singing of songs, the baptizing and taking communion, giving financially as we've just done, and staring each other to love and good deeds. And as we gather, as we adore God, as we focus on him by his grace, he also desires to meet with us. He is also present as we gather. And he does this by the work of the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, we can know God. We can experience him for ourselves. And through the Holy Spirit, we are given gifts to build the church up, to change us. Mark, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember, um, shared about what those gifts are. And then we had Phil sharing with us about the signs and wonders and seeing the gift of healing in operation. And the gifts of the Spirit that we, we read about in the New Testament, they're not just about making our meetings more exciting. But it is about seeing God move in every area of our life so that the kingdom of God would advance. And then as we gather here together on a Sunday, we see the gifts in operation as God uses us to build his church. Over the last few weeks, we've been hearing about how the Holy Spirit is available to every one of us, that the gifts of the Spirit are for us all. Do you know that God wants to use your gift today? The gift of healing that sees someone healed. The, the word of knowledge that reveals the truth of, to someone so God can move in their lives. The gift of encouragement for someone who's struggling. The gift of service as we give our time to bless others. I could go on, but the point is that we all have access to the same spirit and we can all expect that God wants to use us and the gifts he gives us so that the church will be built up. God is not just using today the people on the stage, leading us in worship, not just using me as I preach God's word, not just someone who comes to the microphone and shares. He wants to use us all. And, help it, and, and helping us see that God wants us to live naturally supernatural lives is what this series has all been about. And our church history, our, for, for us at Jubilee, our church history is what is known as the, from the charismatic church. We have a history of embracing the power of the Holy Spirit. We're expecting that the Holy Spirit is going to be active in our lives and that the gifts of the Spirit are available to each of us. However, we realize that if we don't talk about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit, it can easily fade into the background. And so in this season, what we are choosing to do is we are choosing to press in to learn about the Holy Spirit and encountering and making space to encounter the Holy Spirit for ourselves. But let's be honest, it can be a little strange at times. There you go, I've said it. We are rational beings. We are conditioned by a world which says that if it cannot be seen and explained, it cannot be true. And then we talk about the Holy Spirit and experiencing God, and naturally, it's met with skepticism. We also have to recognize that sometimes churches have done a really good job of making it really weird. You know, you just, you just have to go on YouTube to find that to be true. And what it means is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, 
We talk about God moving in our lives. Churches and Christians can be seen as strange, deluded, sometimes even dangerous. And we can respond by trying to tone it down. Let's be a little bit more normal. Don't put people off. You know, there was this whole movement called the seeker-friendly church, uh, which was designed to make church accessible. Now, it is good to make people feel welcome in church. And if you're new today, we're real welcome to you. Thank you so much for joining us. But the danger is, if we're just trying to make something that is palatable, then, uh, you know, we try and do what we can not to put people off, then the danger is that the baby goes out with with the bathwater, and we end up getting rid of the very things that we need as we gather. And when it comes to spiritual gifts that we've been learning about, I don't think that has happened more than with the gift of tongues or the gift of languages. Picture this. You've worked hard over a number of weeks and months making friends with your new neighbour. You've chatted to them about faith. You have slowly gained confidence to invite them to church. You arrive on a Sunday morning and you nervously sit down. In the worship, you you put your hands up, but only halfway, you don't want to be seen as too enthusiastic. You don't want to be seen as crazy. And then out the corner of your eye, you see that guy walk towards the microphone. And you think, oh no, not not a tongue today. Please no. And he goes big. And, And the host beautifully explains what is happening, which I'm going to do so in a moment. But you're, you don't hear any of that because you're just trying to work out how quickly you can move house so you never have to see that person again. Because let's be honest, the gift of tongues or the gift of languages are a bit weird. Even as I mention this, some of you are getting very, very nervous thinking of a way to get out before the response time. Thinking that's the reason the fire escape is open today. But this morning what I want to do is I want to help you understand that tongues and the gift of tongues are not something to be afraid of or sceptical of, but actually can be a wonderful way of building us up in our faith and the faith of those around us. And I want to share you my history, cards out on the table. Um, I first heard the gift of tongues in operation when I was um, about 14 and I was in a gathering and I was actually sat behind a a drum kit at the time and we had a, a visiting speaker at our church and and not, not here, um, but it, the, the person started speaking in tongues, and I'd never heard it before, I didn't know what it was, and, but I just knew I needed to get out. It's quite difficult when you're drumming, but I didn't make it subtle at all. The, the sticks went down and I bolted out of church as quickly as I could. I knew I couldn't be around it, I didn't know what it was. It was then, uh, probably about five years later, when I found myself in the church that planted Jubilee in, in Middlesbrough, Jubilee Church, Middlesbrough, Oh, Jubilee Church Teesside it's called um, and, and I was prayed for a filling of the Holy Spirit and I, I spoke in tongues for the first time and I'll share a little bit about that later on but firstly what is the gift of tongues Acts 2 1 to 4 when the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
day of Pentecost, the Spirit falls on the, the, the first disciples and they speak known languages. Not their own, not one that they have learnt, but they, God fills them with the Holy Spirit and they're able to worship in different languages. We know that because in later verses it tells us that people were visiting and they heard their native tongue and the disciples speak in their native tongue. Now I have seen this happen where people have been filled with the Spirit, they've begun to speak in tongues, uh, and they, they, they speak in a known language. It's been identified as a known language. Imagine this, I, I'm speaking in tongues, and someone comes up to me, and they say, did you know that when you were praying in tongues, you were speaking Italian? So that, that's kind of what's going on there. I haven't learned the language, I'm not aware that I'm speaking the language, but the gift of tongues has enabled me to speak in a known language. It's never happened to me, I'd love it to, but in Acts, this gift of languages, it opens the door for people to hear the gospel. It, it draws attention to what God is doing and it lays a platform for Peter to preach the gospel to the crowds afterwards. That's fairly straightforward. It's, not, it's, it's amazing and miraculous, but hopefully you can grasp what happens at Pentecost. What happens with the disciples. I still believe it can happen today, now, maybe it even will happen this morning. Then we see two examples of the, the gift of tongues in the book of Acts. The first is in Acts 10, when the Spirit falls on the believers at Cornelius' house. Acts 10, 44 to 46. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Here... Tongues, the gift of tongues, demonstrates God's acceptance of the Gentiles. Then in Acts 19, 1-6, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some believers and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was the baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one who was coming after him, and that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Lord Jesus. Paul placed his hands on them, and the Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Here, the gift of tongues, the gift of languages, is poured out on new believers. It's a demonstration that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. Now, before I get into any detail, um, I want to make it really clear that I do not agree with the people who say that this passage in Acts 19 says that tongues is a central marker of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is writing about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, and he says in verses 27 to 30, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work, miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. His conclusion, Paul's conclusion is, no, we don't do all these things. God gives spiritual gifts and he decides how he distributes. We can ask, but we don't choose. God chooses and he gives gifts as he desires. And that means that when it comes to speaking in tongues, not everyone here will get the gift of tongues. Now, immediately, some of you will breathe a sigh of relief, but I want you to hold on because I believe that God wants us to desire all gifts and us to be open to all that God has for us. 
Now in Acts 10 and 19 that I've just looked at, we don't know whether the people present are speaking in the gift, uh, in known languages, because the gift of tongues that we're exploring today comes in two forms. Firstly, there is the known languages that we see in Pentecost. The second is that we find Paul writing about the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 12, to 9, uh, 12 and chapters 12 to 14. And he speaks of tongues and interpretation. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He says that gifts are given for the common good. Then he goes on to speak and describes the gifts. And in verse 10, he says, to another, given the gift of speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. Chapter 13 then speaks of the tongues of angels and the tongues of men. Tongues is an angelic language which is a gift from the Spirit which enables us to speak to God. That's why we need interpretation. If it is always just known languages, we don't need the gift of interpretation, we just need Google Translate. So the gift of speaking in known languages is one way that we find the gift of tongues expressed in the Bible. The second way is, the, is speaking in an angelic language. Both are given by God, not learnt by the individual. Now the early believers that Paul writes to in Corinth, they've been enjoying the gifts that God has given them. But Paul found that the church were abusing those gifts. And it meant that what happened was in the gatherings, that some of them had received the gift of tongues and they were getting up and they were speaking long messages in tongues. No one understood what they were saying. And then they would sit down and someone else would get up and start speaking in tongues. And then they would sit down with another person. And people there were like, we don't know what's going on. What is happening? Those outside the church thought that they were crazy and with good reason. And so Paul addresses the use of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. And so for the rest of my time, I just want to draw out some important lessons about tongues and interpretation from this passage. If you have a Bible, you might just want to stick out, stick with 1 Corinthians 14 in front of you and just help you as we go through this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Prophecy is a way of God speaking to us. And tongues is a way of us speaking to God. Now this passage, you could read this and say, well, Paul, is look, Paul speaks quite negatively of tongues. You know, it almost can be seen as inferior to prophecy, but I don't think that's the case. He says that the one who speaks in tongues edifies themselves. And we can think of that as a bad thing. But it can't be. And Paul cannot be rejecting the gift of tongues because in verse 5 he says he wishes everyone in the church would speak in tongues. Edifying ourselves is only bad if we're doing it for our gain. We're trying to become puffed up. We're trying to have all these gifts that God gives us. But if we're doing it so that we can become like Christ, going, God, would you give me gifts so I can become like you? Then it leads us to be in a better place to build up others. Prophecy immediately builds up those hearing it. But tongues builds us up so that we can go and help build others up. Both prophecy, hearing God speak, and tongues are different, but both are used to build up the church. 
So Paul is not saying that he, he only wants prophecy, but instead he says that tongues are only good for the church if it has an interpretation so that others can hear and be built up by the message. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Paul then gives, twice gives instruction that when someone prays in this tongue, in this angelic language, it must be either interpreted by the person sharing the tongue, verse 13, the one who speaks in tongues should pray that they may interpret what they say, or it should be interpreted by someone else. Verses 27 and 28 says, if anyone speaks in tongues, two or three at most should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no one interpreting, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Paul makes it clear that if a tongue, an angelic language, is shared in public, then it should only be done in a setting where someone is there with the gift of interpretation. Why? Well, Paul's already said that we don't know what the person is praying. And if we don't know what the person is praying, then the rest of the church cannot be built up. And then he also says in verse 23, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and an inquirer or unbeliever comes in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Yes, they will. And so on a Sunday morning here, someone may feel the overflow of the Spirit bubbling up. Paul then says that tongues are used to either pray to God, to worship Him, God in song, or to thank God. When we run out of words to speak, the gift of tongues enables us to express our prayers, our worship, our gratitude to God. Someone may come down to the front and say, you know, I feel like I've got, this, I feel like I've got a gift of tongues today. And, and they may then bring that publicly. And what they're doing is they bring that publicly is they're, they're praising God, they're thanking God, they're worshipping God. And then the gift of interpretation is given. So that the, either to the person speaking the tongue or maybe one or two people in the room who feel God is revealing to them what is being expressed. But remember what tongues are? They're prayers, songs of worship and thanksgiving. So the interpretation will always be the same. It'll be one of those. Now, if you have the gift of tongues, please do pray. You know, if you know already I operate in the gift of tongues, please pray that God would also give you the interpretation. Don't just come down and, and, and say, you know, I've got a tongue, give your tongue and then walk back to your seat. No, consider whether you have the interpretation as well. And then we wait to see if anyone else in the room has that gift as well. And this, this instruction to interpret, I also believe, rules out everyone praying in tongues at the same time, as that will be described as the chaos that Paul describes in chapter 14. That's why we don't just say, right, everyone shout at the top of your voice all your, the, the, your gift of tongues. It'd be chaotic. No one would know what was going on. But finally, there is also a space for what is described as the use of tongues privately. We have tongues shared in a known language. We have an angelic tongue, which when publicly shared should be interpreted. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, 18 to 19, he says, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul is drawing a contrast here. He speaks in tongues more than anyone, but in the church, he would rather speak in words that people can understand. The assumption I believe we can make is that Paul must have been praying tongues in private. 
When no one is present, the, the language is used in the same way to pray, to sing worship, to thank God, but no interpretation is needed because no one else is present and God understands what's been said. I'll often find in my own times of worship, I'll often find myself praying in English and then by the Spirit I'm moved in adoration or I maybe don't have words to use and I begin to pray in tongues. Now this happens when I'm alone. No interpretation needed. But I also may pray in tongues when we're worshipping together in a public setting. But I'll just do it not loud enough that draws attention to me and not loud enough that others hear and therefore an interpretation is needed. And I found the gift of tongues to be an incredible way of connecting with God. Sometimes I've brought tongues publicly, but it doesn't happen very often. Sometimes I've brought interpretations, but even less. But regularly I have used the gift of tongues privately. And Paul tells us in the first verse of 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and desire earnestly, and earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. When we read and learn about spiritual gifts, I believe we are to desire them all. God has given them to us so that the church may be built up. We're not to get jealous or frustrated, but we can ask God. Today, God does not intend that every one of us is going to speak in tongues. But we don't choose what gifts God gives us. We just ask God to come. In the same way, when it comes to tongues, we ask God for the gift of tongues. And he may say no, and if he does, then we thank God for the other gifts that he's given us instead. Or he may say yes, and at some point we'll begin to speak in tongues. That Sunday morning in Middlesbrough, I was prayed for, and I felt God moving. I was encouraged by the person praying for me just to open my mouth and start to praise God. And I found that I started to speak a couple of words in this angelic language of tongues. It was like learning a new language. And, over the, and at first, I just two words on repetition kept coming out of my mouth. Just so you know, when it comes to tongues, you just, you're always in control. So what happens is you shut your mouth, the words stop coming out. It's not magic. Um, but it was like learning a new language. And over the coming weeks and months, as I spent time in God's presence, as I exercised the gift, I began to speak in more and more words. And I believe it is a gift so we don't force it. No one today is going to pray for you and ask you to repeat some words because it's not about repetition or copying. It's about asking and receiving what God does. And if you desire to speak in tongues today and nothing happens, keep asking. It's good to desire all the gifts. But as you ask, don't become disheartened as no one gift means that God is saying, as, as a no to one gift means God is saying yes to something else. The spiritual gifts have been poured out on all believers. Let's desire what God has for us today. And when it comes to the gift of tongues I have, or languages, I have seen it strengthen my own faith. I have seen breakthrough in prayers. I have seen the church stared to worship by the gift of tongues. I have seen somebody come to faith at Jubilee. They walked into the building in the middle of our meeting. They heard the tongues, a tongue being shared and they knew God was real. They gave the life to Jesus that morning. I am so thankful that we are a church that sees the gift of tongues as something that we should still operate in. That we have space in our services for tongues and interpretation. But more than that, I believe that God is wanting to give the gift of tongues to many more of us so that we can be built up, so that the church can be built up. 
if you're just starting to explore faith, this, it's really hard. It's really hard to explain the, what happens. All we say when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit is just ask God. So God like, you said you're going to pour out your Spirit on all people. I want to receive whatever you've got for me. And then we see what God does.